0: Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy friends and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. This morning here, I got up this morning in Americas, Georgia. There was frost on the car. It was really cold. It rained for a couple of days. And then we get the, the cold front, and it was just really cold. And you may remember in the last couple episodes, I've talked about repairing a couple of cellos. Well, one of them turns out it was too small for what Jackson is playing, so I decided I will sell that cello. So I repaired the crack, and I have it for sale on, you know, Craigslist. And I got a a call from somebody, and and the ad, by the way, says, no bow, no case, no bag. It's just the cello. So anyway, I, I got an email from somebody wanting to take a look at it, and so I had to put it in the car this morning. It was 32 degrees this morning, at least. There was frost. And I don't have a case for it, and the car is cold, and it got me thinking about cases and how important they are that, you know, if, if I was going to keep that, the first thing I would do is buy some sort of a gig bag to put that cello in. Instead, I, you know, got my old Mexican blanket and rolled it up in the little cocoon and used a blanket for the case and put it in the car and drove it over here to Columbus, where I am right now and you know carried it in like a baby and brought it in the house and and i still haven't unwrapped it yet you know gonna let it acclimate a little bit but it got me thinking about how important cases are i can remember i told this story before about when i was in college my base gig bag for the upright base got wet and i left it on the bushes and the maintenance guys picked it up and threw it in the dumpster or something. I never saw it again. And we had to use a tarp and blankets, sleeping bags, stuff like that, to protect the base as best we could. And while I was, you know, I was spurred in to think about cases and how important they are and how many different kinds there are, and I, I know I've talked about them somewhat in the Instrument Horror Stories episode, and i probably mentioned them at different times through all these episodes. But I got an email a couple of days ago from a a, a fellow listener named Harry. And Harry, I hope you don't mind if I read your email for the folks, um, because it really got me thinking, too, that, you know, maybe I should talk about this subject. So here's his email. I'm going to paraphrase here and there. Um, And uh, Harry and I have emailed each other several times over the past few months. Oh, okay, so here it goes. Hello, Brad. I've decided that I need a gig bag for my mandolin for my visits to jams and now lessons. And I'm going to skip on down here a little bit. Um, since you've gigged for so many years, any recommendations for a stout mandolin gig bag that would fit an Eastman F style? Love the podcast, though I'm a bit behind Really learned a lot from the Australian guest host. Yeah, that was Stuart Crawford. He did a great job. I just thought he was excellent. In fact, I sent him an email not too long ago inviting him to do a, another episode. I just think he was great. And I said, you know what? You should start your own podcast. You're really good at it. And he's like, I don't know if I've got more than one podcast in me, but let me let me think about it. He was really good. So Stuart, if you're listening, uh, thanks again. You did a wonderful job. And Harry, he agrees, uh, really learned a lot from the Australian guest host. And then he says, by the way, I've learned that I should never skip one of your podcasts. I always learn something new, no matter the subject. Signed, Harry. Harry, I appreciate that. Let me tell you, it uh, makes it all seem worthwhile. I mean, seeing like the number of downloads go from 200 to 201, that makes you feel something you know i know well somebody listened or at least they downloaded it and that's something but to hear from you and any of any of the listeners um you know i'm not hard to find just go to my site bradleylaird.com and right at the top it says contact click that and you can contact me I, i like to get emails sometimes i have to admit that i'm a little slow sometimes of responding because a lot of times you know the first email from somebody is, you know, they got to introduce themselves and tell them, you know, they're a miniature Reader's Digest version of their life story. And then I want to give it, you know, a good reply and not just go, hey, thanks for writing, you know, keep on listening, drink more Ovaltine. You know, I I don't want to do that. So sometimes I'm a little slow and I'm sure that I have from time to time missed an email, but sometimes, you know, I've received some great ideas and good questions and they end up as part of the show. And so today I replied to Harry and I said, uh, let me, do, I'll just read you what I replied to him. Harry, I've never been much of a gig bag guy. Now let me say why I didn't tell him why, but I'll tell you why. Frankly, uh, There weren't a lot of gig bags around when I started, you know, and I'm I'm going to talk about all the different sorts of cases and bags and stuff in this episode. You saw a few of them, just like some like super El Cheapo vinyl bags and stuff, you know, uh, but mostly there were a lot of cardboard cases and plywood cases and stuff like that. So gig bags just weren't that common. You couldn't go in a music store and buy it you know, some sort of nylon backpack gig bag for your guitar. They they really weren't very common. So that's why I wasn't much of a gig bag guy. But in my reply to Harry, I continued, My old pal Bob McIsaac, guitar player in the band I was in, and expert luthier, used to joke and call gig bags, quote, the luthier's best friend, unquote since they cause more repair work to come in. (laughs) I appreciate your letter and thoughts and comments. If you don't mind, I'm going to answer your question by doing a full podcast on the topic. Probably we'll record it tomorrow. So I sent him that yesterday, and I'm keeping my word I'm going to answer his question and possibly some of your questions at the same time. And then I was like, yeah, that guy Stuart Crawford was great. He should start a podcast. I have asked him if he will do another one soon. Happy holidays, Brad. So Harry wrote me back again and said, thanks for the reply. Maybe there are hard shell cases out there with a shoulder strap. He was particularly talking about how when he's walking to these, you know, to and fro, the jams and lessons and stuff, and then he's got a lot of stuff to carry. So, you know, he's got a backpack and, you know, toting a mandolin case and he's knocking it into doors and all this kind of stuff. And he says, unfortunately, when I'm carrying my mandolin in my left hand and using my cane with my right, he he did mention, I skipped this paragraph, he says, I'm that blind dude from Reno. So, if you run across that blind dude in Reno with a mandolin, that's our friend Harry and say hi to him and pick with him. Anyway, he says, Unfortunately, when I'm carrying my mandolin in my left hand and using my cane in my right hand, I'm constantly banging the mandolin case into walls, doors, etc. Looking forward to the podcast. And so I'm just going to say, you know, up front, I don't I don't have any personal experience, you know, in navigating in a sightless uh, world. Other than the story I told you in... Uh, Instrument horror stories where I stupidly was wearing sunglasses at night on a dark night and this pharaoh outfit on the way to a Halloween party, picking party, and where I stepped in the hole and nearly broke my leg and smashed my mandolin down onto the sidewalk. I told that story. Instrument horror stories. Of course, that was self-induced sightlessness. I couldn't see where I was going. Stepped right in the mud puddle and, you know, into the open water meter box. One of the dumbest things I've ever done but I just don't have, you know, personal experience because I'm not in that same situation. So I can't offer a whole lot of advice there. The only thing I would say just just to to address Harry's particular question right off the top is that it's possible that the backpack you carry for, you know, whatever stuff you need to carry around with you for whatever reason Uh, You may not need, you might be able to downsize that because a lot of these gig bags have additional, you know, little side pockets and zipper compartments and things like that. You know, I, I would just guess, like if you're toting around a water bottle and your phone and your, you know, stuff like that, your tablet or whatever, you may be able to find a mandolin gig bag that can handle the mandolin and the other stuff so you can just wear it on your back. And, you know, and if it's on your back, you're, it would seem logical to me that you'd be less likely to bump into doors and, you know, signposts and mailboxes and stuff like that if it's behind you. Because, you know, you might bump into the telephone pole, but the the bag won't, and the mandolin is at least behind you. And as long as you don't fall over backwards, you know, which uh, has nothing to do with any sort of uh, handicap or anything, but I've seen... um, Plenty of pickers at bluegrass festivals who have imbibed a little too much into the uh, the sauce uh, to where I've actually seen musicians fall over backwards and fall off of stools. And, uh, you know, I've seen it. And so if it's on your back and you fall on it, you know, a gig bag ain't going to help it much. At least the broken pieces won't be scratched up. They'll be, you know, smashed to smithereens, but... Uh, you know, so no matter what you do, um, any protection is better than no protection and having the instrument on your back is probably a good location if you are hand carrying and bumping into things. Okay. What I want to do now that I've addressed Harry's question is talk about the whole Broad range of cases and gig bags, and just give you my little two cents worth because I've used a lot of them, including gig bags. So, I'm not going to make this too long, but I do want to go through the eight different types of cases that I have encountered over the years. But before we talk about those eight, let us consider what is the purpose of a case, and I think there are three. The first one is to make the instrument more portable, because, you know, banjos don't have handles. I mean, I suppose you could mount a handle on your banjo, you know, you just screw a handle on the side of it, and you can just tote it around. But a case gives you handles, or backpack straps, or in some cases, wheels, you know. Um, So the the function number one is to make it easier to carry your instrument to and fro and all the little accessory items that you carry, you know, picks, capos, tuners, straps, songbooks, you name it, all that junk you carry around, you know, the little half pint of Jack Daniels or something, whatever you carry to your gig. You can pile all that stuff into your case, and with one hand, it's all more portable than if you had, you know, all the stuff bundled in your arms with no case. So, portability, that's the first object of a case or a gig bag. The second thing is protection. Carrying it around in your hand, you know, if you just towed a guitar around in your bare hand, long enough, you're going to bash it up. You know, you're going to scratch it. You're going to ding it. You're going to bump it into things. Because we do this when we have our instruments out of the case. Where do you think all those scratches and dings and all that stuff come from on an old instrument that has been well played, <laughs> like most of mine? They come from knocking them into things. You know, how many times says the mandolin player, the little point on the back of the peghead... He swung around and hit the guitar player right in the face of his guitar. Clunk. On the on the, on the same note, how many times has those little string ends off of the peg head been jabbed into, you know, a banjo player in the back of his arm? You know, when people are bumping into stuff all the time. You bump into microphones, you know, I've, you know, really scarred up the front of my mantle and some some pretty good dings from you know hitting an sm58 with it just you know have a little too much fun on stage or you know not looking what i was doing but at least for the time period that the thing is in its case it offers protection from impacts and abrasion you know injury to the instrument at least that's the idea They also, cases and gig bags, protect from environmental damage, like thermal changes, temperature changes, and humidity changes. They don't really totally control the environment. You know, go back and listen to the thing I did on humidity a couple episodes ago. But they slow it down, so they do offer protection, thermal and humidity protection. So, you know, it's about keeping the thing as nice as possible and in as good of a condition as possible. So portability and then protection. And then the third thing that I thought of that I, I'm sure this is true is that it also, the case, the case is a becomes a personal statement of your identity. Because when you, I, I remember going to bluegrass festivals when I first started back in the, you know, in the 70s. And you'd see some guy toting a guitar. Well, you could judge. You could make some conclusions about um, what sort of guitar player he was or what sort of guitar he played based upon the case. If a guy is walking along with a cardboard case with the three little snaps and it's, you know, that vinyl paper covering over it, You know, inside there is a $125 guitar, especially when the the outside of the case, you know, has uh, bumper stickers and maybe band stickers. Like it's got a sticker for the band Tool (laughs) stuck on the side of the guitar, you know, and you run into that dude. Even before he opens the case, you know, he's not probably a dyed in the wool bluegrasser. But then you see the guy, and back in the 70s, I used to see this all the time, the guy with the blue thermo-molded Martin case, that, that kind of grayish baby blue. And boy, did I want one of them. I had a guitar. I didn't have that kind of case. I wanted that blue Martin case. And they were, you know, pretty sought after. There was a period of time when their cases were blue. And it was just really cool. I mean, you knew the dude had a Martin because he had that blue case. You know, at a distance, you knew it was a Martin because nobody else was using that blue thermo thermoformed case. Then Martin switched to black, and by the time uh, I got my Martin in the um, mid '80s, it was the same case, but it was now black. Looked exactly the same, but it was black. And I always wanted a blue case. I didn't want that black case. Everybody's got black. And so, you know what? There is a little bit of your personality goes into your instrument choice, your clothing, and your case. Because what you carry around, you know, advertises who you are. Now, I will freely admit that having a Martin guitar and a blue case, it's probably a better target for a thief than carrying that same thing around in a cardboard chipboard case. You know, if you got your pre-war Martin, your 34D28 herringbone stuffed into a cheap cardboard case with a tool sticker on it, they're probably not going to grab that one first. They're going to go for the blue Martin cases and the black Martin cases and anything that looks really high quality. So maybe as a security feature, it's better not to advertise what you have in there. But it is a personal statement of identity. You know, what kind of case you choose says something about you. I've seen people, you know, walk up to a jam session and one guy has a pretty battered case. You know, let's say a man on player. Pretty battered. You know, it's, this guy's drug this thing around. He's, this guy's a player. He had not even opened the case yet. And I know there's going to be a good mandolin come out of that case and probably going to be played by a pretty good player. And then you see another person walk up and they've got some sort of little nylon zipper bag slung over their shoulder and they unzip it and I know I'm about to see a Michael Kelly or an Eastman. I mean I just know it and I know that the person is probably not going to be all that good yet. And look, it's just a statement of who you are. Now of course you don't want to mislead people and you know you're not going to become a better player by having a better case. But you know, as you progress through your playing life, you know, your instrument and your case says a little something about you. And it might even have your name plastered across it like mine does. Okay, let us now talk about eight different types of cases. The first one, which you don't see anymore, is, and they're kind of cool. You see them if you find an old generally cheap violin. And that is the case is just made of wood. Not even plywood, just solid wood. And they're often called uh, baby's coffins. It's a coffin case. It's just a, a kind of a ovoid shape, oblong, you know, case. You could put the fiddle inside. And they were too big, and the fiddle rattles around in there and slides around and always scars up the back of the fiddle from all the old crunchy rosin residue laying in the back. And generally they were lined with just paper. Maybe some thin kind of felt or, you know, a felty type of paper. Super cheap. But they served a purpose. They kept your bridge from getting knocked into you know, you could lay the fiddle in there and close the case and snap the snaps and, you know, protect it a little bit. It provided some impact protection and abrasion, some thermal and humidity, you know, and a statement of your identity. You know, if if you go to some old time jam, you'll see people walking around with one of those old wooden cases with splits in it and nearly falling apart. and All the hinges are, you know, been replaced and, Instead of latches, they got little wire hooks they've made, and but they're proud of that old case. It says, I got an old case, I got an old fiddle, and I got that sort of old-time attitude, you know. So those old, you know, just a wooden box, they provided some protection if you set it on a table and you happen to have a candle burning because back in those days you would probably be lighting your home with a candle or perhaps a kerosene lantern or something at least the candle wax wouldn't drip on your fiddle you know you'd have a lid over and it keeps dust off and it keeps mice you know from chewing on your fiddle that's about all they are good for though okay the second type is the cardboard case, the chipboard case. And thankfully, we're seeing these go away. But they were, they were not, you know, they were a step up from, you know, just a little wooden box. Or maybe they were a step sideways. Basically, certainly throughout the 60s and 70s and into the 80s, you could go down to a music store and for not much money at all buy a guitar case that was basically made of cardboard. You know, had handles and had latches and little hinges. It was sort of stapled together or sewn together, you know, covered with a kind of vinyl outer skin that really didn't amount to much. It was, It was what you call leatherette paper, basically. And the inside would have a very, very thin layer of some sort of felty, flocked-type paper glued on the inside. That's it or might be a, a layer of cloth, flannel. Cardboard slash chipboard cases. They're great. I have several instruments at home in my closet in those types of cases. I have a, a, a an auto harp in one of those chipboard cases, and it's just fine for the auto harp because I'm not on tour with the auto harp, and I never pretty much take it out of the house, but it keeps it from getting banged up. And it keeps dust off of it, and it does provide some thermal and humidity control in slowing down those changes. So, you know, if I had somebody drop me off 20 guitars, and I just need to store them for a while, I wouldn't think there was anything wrong with just stuffing them all in those chipboard cases. They're really good for that. But if you start gigging and dragging them around, you're going to find that you tear the case up pretty quick. They fall apart when they get wet. And uh, they're just not very durable, but, but they're good. A lot of my students have walked through my door, you know, carrying some kind of chipboard cases, especially guitar players. You see it in banjos, um, used to see it a lot, with really, really cheap, lightweight bottle cap banjos, those aluminum rim banjos, a banjo that weighs nothing, you know. You could carry that in one of those chipboard cases, but if you put a Gibson Tone in one of those cardboard chipboard cases, when you lift it off the floor, you'll probably tear the handle off, or you you know, it's just, it can't handle the heavy weight of a real bluegrass banjo. So you see them in El Cheapo banjos, and you don't see them in heavier, better banjos. Third type, and to me, this is the standard. This is the standard. It's plywood. It's, you know, it's just a case made out of plywood. So it's stronger than a solid wood case, like the old fiddle cases, in that if it gets bashed, it doesn't split because it's plywood. And then it's covered with some sort of outer skin of a vinyl, you know, some sort of uh, vinyl cloth laminated stuff called Tolex. You know, it's got a little embossed pattern in it, but it's impervious to moisture. So if you shot it with a squirt gun, it doesn't soak into it. It just sits there on it. That's stuck all over the outside of the case. And then the inside would be lined in various ways. Could be fairly simple of just like velvet lining glued in or foam and then cloth and felt and soft fabrics on the inside like flannel. And then really beefy hardware, you know, good solid snaps that are either riveted on or bolts, nuts and bolts holding them on, and little uh, little bumpers. You know, you, you've seen people pick up a guitar case, you know, after the gig, and they're standing there talking to you, and they stand it on its end. They stand it upright with the neck up, and they're leaning on it talking to you. Well, if you look at those plywood cases, and even some of the old chipboard cases If you looked at the bottom, there'd be four little, like, nickel-plated or chrome-plated little round little knobs that have been stuck on the bottom of the case, so that it'll kind of sort of stand there, and it keeps the case off the floor. Little, Little bumpers, you might say, but they're rigid metal. And then they'll position a few of those on the long side of the case, where you get the handle up. And you got the side of the case down. You know, your typical way you would set a case down on the floor. And they've got those little, I don't know what you'd call them, floor stoppers or something. There'll be four of them or so on the bottom of the case. And when the case sits down, it's actually sitting on those. Those are, you know, those kind of cases are really good. And that's, that's the majority if you buy a mid-range or high-end mandolin, guitar, even fiddles, um, Dobros, that's generally the type of case that comes with them from the factory. You know, mid-range to and higher priced instruments because they're really good. They're really strong. They do get beat up. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna bash them and you're gonna, you know, the covering is gonna start coming unglued. And once in a while, you might have a handle issue or hinge fail or something like that. But They are pretty, pretty strong. And because the wood is thicker, they're heavier. You know, I I told the story in Instrument Horror Stories about, you know, coming back from a break and seeing a little girl, like, tap dancing on my mandolin case. Well, it was one of those plywood cases, and it withstood her little uh, dance routine. So I really like the plywood cases. The bulk of my instruments live in plywood cases that are either covered in that Tolex vinyl-type material, or fabric. Uh, My Dobro case, I always get a lot of compliments on it, because it has sort of an alligator hide-type tolex on it. And so does my banjo case, kind of a brown color. But you see them with that tweed fabric. You know, this is the same kind of stuff they cover guitar amps with. You know, either tolex or vinyl. Okay, that's number three. I really do like plywood cases, but they're heavy. And generally, all they have is just a handle for carrying. They usually have backpack straps and that kind of stuff. The third or the fourth type is the thermoformed case, and I talked about the Blue Martin case. A thermoformed case is, you know, they're going to have a mold, and they're going to take a sheet of plastic of some kind of plastic material, and they're going to heat it up, and then they're going to vacuum. Form it down onto a mold and create this one piece shell for the top side. They're gonna do the same thing for the bottom side. And then they're gonna trim it all the way around, and they're gonna line it with foam and cloth and so on, and then they're gonna attach hardware. And usually they have a an aluminum channel that runs around the edges that interlocks with the, you know, the bottom half with the upper half. And they're like a turtle shell they're they're really solid i don't know that they're as strong as plywood but they're better when it comes to the corners because if you got a plywood typical plywood case it's a wooden box and it's covered with cloth or some sort of vinyl fabric and there are joints you know you can't just do a one piece covering so the joints where the top meets the side gets wrecked and tears up faster. With these thermoform cases, you know, it's one continuous shell down to the center line of of the side of the case. So there really are no corners to come apart. So in terms of how long the case will last and how long it will remain good looking and impervious to, you know, misting rain and dew and things like that, they are better in that regard. The the downside that I found with the Thermoform cases is that, especially the Martin, is they just didn't provide enough storage area. A Martin case is a wonderful case, except there's not a lot of room inside to put much of anything. You can barely get your strap in. In fact, most people with those old Thermoform cases, you just have to roll the strap up and carry it separately because there was it was such a snug fit, and the little, little uh, accessory compartment in there, it, you'd have to have a pretty small um, volume strap to even get it in there. Sometimes you can roll them up and put them beside the neck, but Martin just didn't uh, put a lot of extra storage space in there. You could carry some picks and strings and a capo or two and a little small tuner, but a lot of times people had these big leather straps, and they just wouldn't fit. Or they'd lay them on top the guitar before they'd close the lid. And sometimes they'd be a little tight, you know, because Martin made a well-fitting case, and it really was not designed to carry a strap. So that's your thermoform. That includes the blue Martin case. I've not seen many thermoform cases. I've seen them for fiddle and for mandolin, but they're not as common. Okay, so let's move on to the next type of case, The fiberglass or carbon fiber case. Now, these are very similar to thermoformed cases in that you basically have two turtle shells hinged together, you know, like a clamshell, I suppose you could say, that your instrument lives inside. Very, very similar to the thermoformed, you know, Martin style, old Martin style case. Um, But what's different is the material. Rather than being made of a sheet of plastic that's heated and vacuum-formed into that shape, they're built up from layers of fiberglass cloth or carbon fiber, or they probably have some other mysterious uh, fabric types. And then those are laid upon a mold, and then it's basically hosed down or you know brushed on with foam brushes or sprayed on, some sort of epoxy type uh, material that impregnates the cloth and then forms this turtle shell. And, you know, in all other respects, they're very, very much the same as a thermoformed case. The difference is that they are generally considered to be much stronger. So that's, Your fiberglass, your carbon fiber, I've never owned one. Um, You know, they're built basically the same way as you would build a fiberglass canoe. You know, if you compared a fiberglass canoe to a thermoformed plastic canoe, you can see the difference. Uh, They look the same, they act the same, but the fiberglass canoe will withstand bashing into rocks better. And they're frankly easier to repair fiberglass than to repair thermoformed cases. Anyway, they they are very similar. Let's move on to number 6 and I really like these and they're really really common now and they're they're very inexpensive. And I suspect they're inexpensive because of the amount of labor involved in creating them. And they are what I call a foam block case. If you buy an an inexpensive case off of Amazon or something, let's say you just buy the cheapest mail-in case you can find that is not a gig bag, but is some sort of an actual solid case. Typically these are a block of polystyrene, I think it's called polystyrene foam. It's that kind of white foam that you find, let's say you bought a television set and the television was in the box. And you got home from Walmart and you tore the box open and you lifted out the television set. And on the sides of it were these blocks of this white crumbly kind of foam. That's styrene foam. I think it's called polystyrene. That's what the case is made out of. So they make a mold in the shape of the case. And that has a cavity for, you know, the storage compartment and for the instrument and so on. And they mold it out of this foam, which by the way, those foam blocks are provide excellent cushioning from shocks. You know, it's the same stuff they make uh, packing peanuts out of. Styrene packing peanuts. Um, Very, very good with impact, absorption, and as temperature insulation. You know, when you buy a foam cooler, that's what it's made out of. So they are super great thermo insulators and they're cheap to manufacture. But they can't sell you just a block of styrofoam, you gotta have a way to close it and you gotta make it look good. So they stitch together a nylon or some sort of fabric cover. So they have this. You know, might have a zipper on it, might have Velcro closures, little pockets, handles sewn on. And they have this kind of rectangular bag, and they basically shoot glue all over this block and shove it inside there. And then when you open it, they will, of course, line the inside, the cavity that your instrument lays in, with some sort of, you know, velvet or felt or flannel some some sort of soft fabric. So when you open the case, you don't see foam. You see fabric on the inside and fabric on the outside, but it's a block of foam. And they're super lightweight, and they're pretty strong for, you know, what I'd call low-velocity impacts. You know, they're not going to stop a bullet, and they're not going to stop a 300-pound roadie who steps on it. But, the, you know, bumping them around, you know, Tossing them in the back seat of your car, they are very shock absorbent and they're great thermal insulators. And I wouldn't mind having those at all. They mostly the reason I don't have very many of them is because they weren't around when I was in my instrument acquiring years. I do have one that is a fiddle case, and I found you know just a. Like a $75 fiddle, (laughs) you know, that was the new price, you know, the the suggested retail. Junk fiddle, basically. In one of those cases, I found it at a yard sale, got it for five bucks. I thought, well, the case is good. I, I may have even thrown the fiddle away. I think it was a complete junk fiddle. But the case was better than the old wooden baby coffin case that I had. And I thought, well, if I, you know, I need to carry my fiddle somewhere, which I occasionally would do, I put it in that foam block case. Much better protected. The only downside that I've run across on those foam block type cases is that sometimes they require three hands to open. And I'll tell you why usually they have a couple of little flaps that come down that are velcro there'll be one inside the handle area and then there'll be one on each side you know right and left i'm talking like a mantle case so there's three flaps well if you you lift one and you let go of it and you lift the next one you lift the next one, you can only hold two up at once and the third one always somehow manages to flop down where you can't lift the lid And of course, you at the same time as you're trying to hold those three flaps up, you have to unzip it. So I found it always easier to open them by setting it up on its side. And then I could kind of pull those flaps out and make them stay open because they would want to flap back closed and the Velcro would grab. A little bit annoying like that, but they're basically good. And they're so lightweight that those are the types of cases that will often include you know, a shoulder strap and some D-rings that are sewn on the side so you can carry it over your shoulder, or there'll be a handle, or backpack straps. And, you know, for Harry, that's, I would look at one of those cases before I would look at a gig bag, because they offer more impact resistance. You know, the best gig bag in the world is not going to be as strong as one of those cheap foam block nylon-covered rigid cases. They're bulkier. I give you that. But, you know, there's a trade-off. If you want it to be super small, you know, it's, there's not going to be a lot of structural integrity. You know, a cloth bag, if... Well, let's go on to gig bags. It's number seven. A gig bag, the, the old originals were just canvas bags. And sometimes they had little um, shoelace-type ties you know, the, the end just folded over and then you wrapped it around the neck and you tied it. And sometimes the, you know, you'd insert uh, the instrument in from the big end, you know, it would have an opening there and it'd have some little drawstrings and ties and sometimes a snap. Often they didn't even have handles. You know, I've got an old banjo mandolin that has one of those from 1915 era, had a little canvas cover. It didn't even have a handle on it. It was just a really a dust cover, and it, you know you could carry it under your arm or something. I'm sure some of them came with handles. Um, they are not very good when it comes to impact. They protect from little light bumps. You know you bump it, oops, uh, excuse me, excuse me, bump, bump. You know that kind of thing. They're they're pretty good for that, but you know somebody comes around swinging a baseball bat, you know, that, that bag is not going to stop the impact. I have more than once told the story, I think on here about a student of mine who I sold a mandolin to in a hard shell case. He took it out of the hard shell case, put it in a a gig bag, pedaling his bicycle along, crashed his bike and smashed the mandolin. So That's why the gig bag is known as the luthier's best friend. But again, they're better than no case. But they're not a heck of a lot better than a blanket or something. Of course, they don't fall out of a, I mean, they will fall out of a blanket or, you know, I have a mandolin that I'm building right now that is, it's all together, but it hadn't been drilled for the, the peghead hadn't been drilled and I haven't bound the edges of it yet. So it's just the, the body waiting for finishing and it lives in a pillowcase just it's just in a pillowcase which provides it a little bit of environmental protection and keeps the spiders out and the the dust off of it and you know I just have the top kind of folded around the little strip of cloth tied around the neck to keep it closed just keeps it from getting scratched and you know like if i picked it up my finger oils wouldn't go into the wood cuz it's covered in cloth so that's about how i feel about gig bags i don't like them but if you're the very careful type and you you know you take pains to protect the gig bag with the instrument in it they'll certainly work they're very handy you know i've seen guys come waltzing into a rock and roll gig and they got their you know telecaster in a gig bag on their back and but they're not letting that thing out of their sight, you know. You don't want to lay your, you don't want, Look, if you have a Lloyd Loar mandolin, you're not going to put it in a gig bag, and you're certainly not going to take that gig bag and just lay it on the couch, where some fool may sit on it, you know. You're going to get you a uh, high-dollar carbon fiber or massive plywood case. Uh, so that's gig bags. Uh, the the only instrument that I habitually carry in a gig bag is my upright base because hard shell cases, plywood cases, that kind of stuff would be way too heavy and way too expensive. I know you guys with your, you know, 1750s carved instruments from, uh, you know, the old country, they do have hard shell cases, uh, some of them. But, uh, you know, a gig bag is kind of what you're stuck with, with a base. And so I do use a big old giant gig bag for my base. And with all of its, um, you know, downsides, you know, they don't absorb impact very well. They keep a little light rain off and they keep it, you know, you bump into a doorway or something. Uh, And there are, you know, sometimes gig bags have a little foam extra padding, which is nice. Keeps your bridge from getting knocked around that kind of stuff. So I'm not saying gig bags are bad, but if you have the ability to carry a hard shell case, I would over a gig bag. Last case is the road case, and that's like for the touring musician who's packing his instruments into the belly of a bus or an 18-wheeler or being loaded by you know, the gorillas at the airport into the belly of a plane. And typically a road case is just a case for your case. You got your instrument in its normal case, but then that whole thing is put into a fiberglass or aluminum or plywood. It's, you know, possibly a combination of all those things. A very, very stout case with metal corners and, you know, Moldings and stuff riveted all the way around it, and he-man latches and locks and that kind of thing. If if somebody's going to be hand trucking your instrument around, or throwing it on a forklift, or sending it up and down a conveyor belt, and you know that kind of brutal roadie abuse, all the gear goes in those things. You know, speakers, amplifiers, instruments, and uh, lighting rigs and all that kind of stuff. So You know, if you've got something you're going to ship or you're going to do some serious transportation with, you could consider having a road case built that fits your instrument. And there are companies that make them, you know. You can buy a road case for a guitar that, you know, the guitar will fit in or your guitar case will fit in. And usually you got to kind of customize them out a little bit by cutting hunks of foam out of it or adding foam blocks and things like that. But they're just like super duper cases and they're heavy. Okay. Those are the eight types. Uh, let me just give you to close this out, give you a few little tips on just general tips on case usage. Uh, first tip, be careful of the loose items laying around inside your case you know, pens and pencils, capos, um, a pick floating around in your case is not going to do a lot of damage, or a business card, or a cardboard string package. If, If that is flopping around inside there next to the neck of your mandolin, it's not going to do any damage. But if you've got one of those old vinyl string envelopes, you know, the little vinyl pouch that the strings would come in, Sometimes that vinyl can react with the finish of an instrument, so you don't want to, you know, have one of those vinyl packages laying under the back of your mandolin when you stick it in there. So be careful of loose objects around. You know, if there are compartments with doors that open and close, put the stuff in there. You know, my banjo case, I carry all kind of tools, you know, bracket wrench, uh, truss rod wrench, a screwdriver for adjusting uh, tuner tension, wire cutters. That stuff is all living in that you know compartment with the lid, so it can't possibly get out and rattle around inside the case and screw up the finish on your instrument. So just be wary of loose items. And if you're forced to, you know, you don't have enough room in the compartment, but you got maybe room around the peghead to put some objects maybe put them in a little drawstring cloth bag, but you know, put your cape and your tuner in this little bag and then drop that in there. That way, at least it doesn't, they don't bump into things. Or consider carrying what I call an actual gig bag, which is, you know, some kind of little shoulder bag or, you know, just a little cloth tool bag that you carry your junk with you, you know, all that other stuff. Instead of trying to cram everything you need for a gig, into your instrument case maybe just have your instrument and then you got your bag with your microphone and your you know your extra cables and batteries and tools and all that weird stuff goes in what I call the gig bag it's really a tool pouch you know it's a a cloth tool bag you can buy them like you know three for fifteen dollars at Lowe's you know that kind of thing so maybe that's the solution if you can't fit all your stuff inside get you a separate little bag Um, tip number two think about the fit of the instrument in the case not just the all the accessory pockets and loose items going around but is your instrument too tight in the case or is it too loose you know when i started getting into this typically cases were always too loose and the exception to that was that martin case which was just a perfect fit with very little room to spare. That's good. What you want, you want it to slip in easily and not shift and, you know, not be able to move around two or three inches from side to side or even a half an inch. Because every time that instrument moves inside that case, it's rubbing. So that can cause finish abrasion, especially when your case is old, dirty, and there's, you know, you got a lot of junk in there, like old set lists and pencils and, pa- you know, paper clips and junk like that and picks floating around in there and rosin and, you know, the accumulation of detritus from a musician's life. That stuff builds up in there. And if the instrument's shifting around, that's not good. But back in the day, you know, in the 70s and 80s, they made them all, it seemed like all cases were a little too big. And today... You know, if you get a factory, you know, you buy a decent instrument from a maker with the case, it's going to come in a case that really fits it nicely because they're going to select the case that fits what they build. But, you know, when I was coming along, there weren't that many different mandolin makers. Now there are. And, you know, Company A, his mandolin may not be the exact same size as Company B and Company C and Company D, So you can order you an off-the-shelf F5 case, and then you try to put yours in it, and you can't hardly squeeze it in. And I don't think that's good either. I, I don't think you should have, like, super tight cases. What you want is just snug, easy to get in, easy to get out, but not flopping all over the place. But if I had to choose, I would take the flopping around case, because you can always add a little padding around it. You can take a cloth diaper. A folded up bandana. You know, little little stuff like that. Um, I have a banjo, uh, one particular banjo in a case. And it, the, it doesn't fit the case that great. And I have, literally, a cloth baby diaper. Because those are great. They're really soft and they're padded. A little padded, kind of quilty. And... Uh, It just lives in there, uh, right, kind of, you know, around one edge, and it makes it fit really good. So I'd rather have to add a little padding than to try to take it away, because it's hard to take it away. I did have a mandolin case one time that I could barely close the lid, and it was because I was putting the mandolin that I built into a case that was made for some other F5 mandolin. And mine was a little taller, a little thicker and you don't want that you don't want that lid pressing down hard on your bridge you just don't want that so my solution there was to slice the uh, padding from around the back on the inside of the case and remove some foam so you know, they had like 3 8 inch thick foam back there i just pulled the foam out so the back was only padded with cloth anyway be careful that they're not too tight Because if your case is too tight and you take a hard shot to the case, that shot is transmitted straight to your instrument. So I'd rather have it a little bit loose. Then the the case can flex a little before it smashes your mandolin or your guitar. Um, Next tip. I think it's a good idea to put some identification on your case, not just a little luggage tag with your name, address and phone number tied on the handle. Because if a thief steals your case, he's the first thing he's gonna do is tear that off and throw it away. So you could put visible identification, um, you know, cause a lot of times cases look alike. I think I told the story about um, accidentally walking, me walking off of someone else's mandolin because we had identical cases and I grabbed the wrong one and just something felt weird. And I opened it, I'm like, ooh, that's not mine. And I took it back inside and found mine. And the very next day, I plastered my name across my case, not as advertisement or anything, just to make it easy to spot. So a little bit of identification, some stickers, something so it's easy to spot your case. You know, that's, I think, a good idea. But I also think it's a good idea to put some hidden identification, perhaps in the instrument or somewhere in the case where it's not going to be seen. Something that You record and you can identify later. So that if you're trying to reclaim your stolen property, you can say, well, if you remove the truss rod cover and look on the underside of it, you will see in Sharpie, the initials B E L. And you tell the cop that and then he does it and he goes, yeah, I guess that is your mandolin. Because who's going to look on the bottom side of the truss rod cover? You could, uh, you know, do similar you, you get creative there. You could uh, take off uh, one of the sets of tuners and uh, you, know, write your name on the back of the peg head right where it's covered by the tuners. The thief's not going to probably tear that apart to look for that. Um, you could also, you know, put some identification inside the case somewhere. You know, make a little razor slit somewhere and slip you a card in there with your pertinent information, your secret code word or whatever it is, slide it in there, and then glue it. And then you can stand there with your hands folded behind your back and you know, tell the cops, say, okay, you see right there? If you grab that felt and pull it back, stick your finger down in there, you're going to find a little card with my name on it. You know, that sort of thing. Get creative there. I've even heard that they're now, uh, you can even
1: buy these like
0: microchip devices to hide in your instrument uh, so they can be tracked over wifi networks and stuff. Uh, I haven't really looked into that, but I've heard of them. Oh, uh, next tip on cases, uh, keep them in good repair. You know, even if it's just, if it's getting bashed up, maybe even slapping the duct tape on the edges, you know, cause if you start getting, take a plywood case, scarred up so bad that you're down to bare wood, pretty soon that wood, those glue joints are going to fail. Take a look at your case once in a while. Glue the wooden parts back together. You know, replace a broken latch, a worn handle. If you've got a handle that has leather straps on it, take a look at it. You don't want to drop that guitar down a stairwell because the leather got old and dry and broke. Handles do break. So take a look at them, you know. Repair the case once in a while, you know, glue it back together, get some contact cement and all those little triangles of that covering that you've ripped up. Paint a little contact cement on there and let it dry and then just press it down. You're good to go again, you know, or use that Super 77 in the spray can. That's a, a pretty great, aggressive adhesive, although it's horribly messy and it stinks terribly. So I prefer contact cement for case repairs. So keep your case in good shape. Uh, Next thing is, and this really pertains to old vintage instruments. Like, let's say you got a 1915 Gibson mandolin with a celluloid pick guard. And you don't play it that much. You bought it back 10 years ago, and it just lives in the case, and it's in your closet. And you really hadn't looked at in a while and you pull it out and it's been about two years and you open the case and the strings are all rusted through the frets up around the upper end of the neck are all corroded looking and the pickguard is just crumbling and what has happened is that material that they thought was so wonderful back in 1915 is not so great a hundred years later and it's degrading it's literally coming apart and it's a phenomenon known as outgassing they know about it now that if you've got an old vintage instrument with celluloid parts on it first 50 years no problem 75 years no problem but then the problems start and eventually the the that celluloid plastic, we'll call it, just falls apart. And when it falls apart, often it is in reaction to glues they used to glue multiple layers together. So it often happens on the side of the pick guard where it's attached to the neck. That's where the damage begins. But as this stuff begins its breaking down process, it gives off corrosive uh, vapors, which can wreck the finish under the pit guard and also corrode the strings. And talk to any experienced luthier, they've seen this, you know, it's what's known as case rot, you know. But the prevention for it, aside from having new, you know, replacement pit guard made, that kind of thing, is to occasionally at least, maybe every, month or two, open the case. Let that nasty uh, corrosive gas out of the case. If if I had, and I did have an old K4 Gibson Mandocello in just absolutely mint condition, which I no longer own anymore, but I was always very nervous about that because I had a mandolin and a mandola of about the same vintage, like 19-teens, that both of them, they'd had the, uh, you know, the crumbling celluloid problem. And both of them caused some damage to the top and the binding around the area and so on. And I didn't want it to happen to that Mandocello. And I was advised by several luthiers, open the case once in a while. I know I'm always preaching, close your case, close your case, close your case. But you don't want to bottle up that and you're more likely to spot it happening before it gets too bad. And having it open to ventilate helps, so I've been told. Now I don't have that thing anymore, so I don't have to worry that I'm going to open the case and dad it, the thing's all crumbled to pieces. The uh pit guard, but that's why in a lot of uh old vintage instruments you see replacement pit guards, you know, the old ones just simply. Crumbled and fell apart. All right, last uh, tip. No, oh, really, I got two more, and then I swear I'm done. Cats. Nothing I hate worse than to see pictures posted on the Internet of people with their cat all curled up, all cozy inside their instrument case. Ain't that cute? And I love cats. I have two cats. I've had cats around me my whole life. I like cats. I don't let them in the house. If they go in the house, they are immediately tossed out. I don't let cats in my house. Now, maybe you do, and you like cats and all that. But I had a French horn case in high school, and I left the case open. And the French horn was sitting on the couch. I was in the seventh grade, had a young male cat. And, of course, he's got to check out the case. And, of course, he had to mark his territory. I never got the smell of that cat spray out of that case. Never did. And, and you know what? People with cats, and I, I know this is true. At least I think it's true. And listen, if you're a cat lover, God love you. I, I love cats too. But if you walk into someone's home and they have cats inside, you immediately know there's cats living there because the house smells a little catty, you know? They, they do, you know, especially if they've got a litter box in the corner that needs cleaning. I'm not anti-cat. I just don't think cats ought to live in the house. Uh, and they certainly ought not live in your case. <laughs> Plus, they get hair all over everything. Uh, anyway, so that's just my little personal pet peeve. Uh, don't, don't send me photos of your cat sleeping in your mandolin case. Uh, last thing, sun exposure. I don't know why. Everybody seems to think that black is the appropriate case color. And we go to all this trouble to protect our instrument from heat and temperature extremes, and then we stick it in a black case. And black, as we all know, absorbs light and infrared energy. If I have a white mandolin case and a black mandolin case, and I put them both out, in the same orientation to the sun, the black case is going to get a lot hotter a lot faster. You know that if you've walked barefoot across a black top road compared to walking on, let's say, concrete that's much lighter colored, it'll be a little cooler. You know, left out in the sun, a lot of things heat up, but a black car gets hotter than a white car faster. So if your case is black And frankly, even if it's not, I don't suggest you leave your case exposed to the sun. Many, many times at gigs, I've showed up at a gig, and they got this big platform, nothing over the top, and it's a bright, sunny day in the summer, and the guys are showing up, and they're sitting their cases up there on the stage, laying them down flat, right in a hot, overhead sun in black cases. Not me. I'm slipping my case underneath the stage, around back. If I can find a shadow, I don't care if it's only two feet by foot, some sort of little shadow, that's where my instrument will be. It will be in the shade. So think about that even when you put your instrument in a car. Lord knows cars get way too hot for musical instrument glue and finishes but uh, you know a good case slows down the heat transfer so it might survive for a while especially those nice foam cases those block foam block cases very insulative but you know if you go to a festival and you're parked out in the middle of a sunny field and you brought your instrument and you say well I'll just leave it here in the in the back seat maybe come back and get it later and then Seven hours later, you come back and the interior of the car is 140 degrees and the sun is shining right through the window onto your black case. Well, you're asking for it. That's all I'm saying. Take a sleeping bag, throw a throw, throw something over it, insulation, get it out of the sun, put it under something, hide it. You know, that's good for keeping thieves away too. Uh, you know, just be careful with the brutal effects of direct sunlight on your instrument that's it folks i'm all done i have talked myself weary but i've answered harry's question and i've hopefully answered some of your questions and uh, y'all take care and uh, happy holidays